Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, ready to move the earth, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. One is a genius. The other's insane. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. <laughs> that was a particularly nice one. Thank you. I thought you were going to say one is the loneliest number, and I was going to say, what does that have to do no. with our podcast? Today? No, I, I, we're going to talk about a genius today. We are going to concentrate on a genius, a mathematical genius, an inventor, uh, one of the one of the greats, really. Yeah, we uh, in, in the past we have talked about many fascinating people in tech, uh, most of whom lived in the 20th and 21st centuries. Today we're going back a bit farther. Yeah, to the point further. of of uh, 287 BC would be the the year that this fellow was born, and we are talking about Archimedes. Yes, the developer of the TRS-80. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's definitely a precursor to that. Yes. Um, yes, we're not talking Texas instruments. We're talking Greek ones. So Archimedes was a, a mathematician. He was an astronomer. He was an engineer, an inventor. Uh, very clever fellow, I guess. That would probably be an understatement. Uh, oh, yes. A, uh, one of the, the fathers of calculus, not not the calculus that we use today, but precursor again. Well, well, we've talked about it a lot in in the past, too. We've talked about the the principle of simultaneous discovery where people, more than one person, comes up with the same idea. We've also talked about how people, to have discoveries, build on other people's work. Right. And Archimedes was definitely a founder of many, many of our technologies. Yeah, yeah, you would call him the the father of integral calculus, not... Not the same thing as Newtonian yeah. calculus, um, which is, of course, much later on. So, and, and Chris has already made mention of one of the famous quotes attributed to Archimedes, which is, give me a place to stand and I will move the earth. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like something that a, uh, megalomaniacal supervillain would say. Uh, but in this case, Archimedes is talking about the discoveries he made in what we would call basic mechanical Structures now, things like pulleys and levers. Yes. In that case, we're talking specifically about levers, but Archimedes really was interested in the relationship of pulleys, levers, and how they could be used to do work. And, um, he spent quite a bit of time perfecting that. So much so that there are certain inventions that are, are associated with him that are related in some form to simple machines. Uh, although not all of those inventions are necessarily straight from, a from Archimedes' brain. Yes. But uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that he did do and then some of the things that are attributed to him that perhaps he did not do or perhaps just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in particular that's pretty famous due to a Mythbusters episode that we'll get to. Ah, uh, yes. It's one of my favorites, actually. Uh, now, Archimedes', uh, Archimedes his dad was a, an astronomer, so he was growing up he was uh, exposed to the sciences um he was probably taught by followers of euclid and uh he was you know what we know of him is mostly from stuff that was written well after his death and because of that we can't be completely certain uh about the details of his life in fact there's still some 
confusion about exactly when he died. It was sometime around 212 or 211 B.C. Now, he was born in 287 B.C. Remember, we count backwards. Right. Probably confused the heck out of them at the time. <laughs> what are, are we, we counting, counting down, down to? to? <laughs> so, yeah. So, I did, <laughs> so he died around 212, 211 B.C. And you might ask, well, how did Archimedes die? How did Archimedes die? Violently, unfortunately. It was during a sacking of Syracuse, which is, that was Archimedes' home. He, he lived in uh, Syracuse in Sicily. And it, uh, at the time, it was an independent Greek city-state. Yeah, before it, it was, you know, physically uprooted and moved to New York. Yes. No? Yes, that's not that's how exactly it happened. what happened. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. The original. Really original, Syracuse. yes. So, so in, the, the Romans were in a, uh, a war with, it was a, a Roman Carthaginian war. Says Carthage and Rome are in a war with each other. And Syracuse got pulled into the middle of that despite mm-hmm. attempts to kind of sort of not do that. But various rulers of Syracuse ended up siding with either Rome or Carthage during the, pro- the, the whole uh, conflict. And at one point in the war, Rome besieged Syracuse. And uh, during the attack, a Roman soldier came upon Archimedes. And although there were specific orders to spare the life of Archimedes, the Roman soldier killed him, uh, apparently not knowing the identity of the man he put to the sword. Mm-hmm. So Archimedes was uh, – uh, he was valued by both sides. He was recognized as a genius and neither side wanted this genius to be destroyed. But as an unfortunate side effect of war, sometimes accidents happen. Uh, now, why was – why did people consider him a genius? Well, one was that he was making incredible contributions to mathematics. Mm-hmm. He had found really interesting relationships between things like the volume of a sphere and the surface area of cylinders and found out interesting ways to to kind of explain those relationships, including a very close approximation of pi. Um, pi. Yeah, hi. <laughs> We've lost had, him. Haven't had breakfast yet. Um, so he was definitely – Valued for his intelligence. But beyond that, he also was this great inventor. In fact, during the war, during the, the siege on Syracuse, he came up with an invention known as the Iron Hand that played a big part in the defense of the city. Did you come across the Iron Hand? Actually, I did not come across the Iron Hand. Oh, this is... is that different from the Iron Fist? Yeah. I guess uh... you, one is used for defense, the other one you rule with. The, it was also sometimes called Archimedes' Claw. Um, it's a... It's a brilliant, brilliant uh, defense mechanism for that time. It would not work today. But here's what here's what it was. So Syracuse uh, was um, right up against the ocean. Like essentially, there was uh, you know a, a slight cliff, and then you had a, a city wall mm-hmm. that that was I think 27 kilometers long back when it stood. It doesn't stand anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it it. You know, then you, it was essentially right up against the ocean. So one of the uh, possible avenues of attack was a, an attack by sea. Yes. Which is what one of the venues that Rome was interested in. So, uh, the leader of Syracuse came to Archimedes and said, I need a way to protect us while from these attacks from the, uh, from the ocean. Mm-hmm. So what Archimedes came up with was an enormous lever that you would mount on the sides of the city walls or actually on the top of the city walls. So you have this huge lever that that extends out over the ocean. Okay. Right? Yeah. From the end of the lever, you have a rope that drops down. And on the end of the rope is a grappling hook. Now, on the other end, the short end of the lever, you put huge lead weights 
and you first put them near the pivot point so that the weight of the long part of the lever keeps it level. All right. right. What you try to do is you try and catch the bow of a ship, a Roman ship, with that grappling hook. Once you do, you slide those weights back from the 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 uh, the fulcrum there to the very end of the the short arm of the lever. Now that weight is enough to push that end of the lever down, meaning the long arm of the lever goes up. That's the arm that, by the way, is attached to the rope and the grappling hook. Right. So you literally pull the end of the Roman ship out of the water. You then use the lever to shake the Roman ship, and eventually the grappling hook breaks off of it, making the Roman ship fall again, either smashing against the water or the rocks on the the, the base of the cliffs. That's brilliant, but extremely complicated, it seems like, trying to, to build the lever. Yeah. It, it, however, was incredibly effective. Wow. Yeah, so effective that Rome abandoned their sea-based attacks. They instead wow. of instead of attacking Syracuse by sea, what they did was they set up a blockade uh, further out in the ocean where they're mm-hmm. not going to get hit by a grappling hook from the shore. And then they ended up attacking by land and eventually uh, sacked Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while the victory was a a, uh, a good one, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a lauded victory, uh, but it was short lived because all they did was they changed tactics. And uh, unfortunately, the the uh, iron hand was not uh, as good at, at defending against land-based attacks or right. good at all. Now, there were other theoretical uh, weapons that some people say actually were built and used against the Romans during this very same siege. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the, the one I was talking about with Mythbusters was the the Archimedes death ray. Oh, right. You know what I'm talking about here, right? Right. How he theoretically was able to uh, set fire to, to the ship. sails, yeah. yeah, to the sails, from or even distance. actual ships, yeah, from a distance. The idea being that he d- designed a device that would uh, reflect and concentrate light from the sun and direct it at ships, and it would be so intense that it would be hot enough to to set fire to at least the sails of the ship, if not the actual ships themselves. Uh, and in and at least some of the reports, it was. Uh, said that he used shields Mm -hmm. and he just polished the surface of the metal shields and arrayed them in a, uh, in a shape that would direct the light in a very concentrated way. So you have all these different shields that are tilted just so, so that the, the light that they reflect all hits the same spot. Sort of like the, uh, the devices that you use to cook a hot dog or something like that, that you used to use at camp. You know, you have your, your mirror and you stick your food there and it, you know, the sunlight reflects off the inside of the mirror and except much, much larger and stuff. I used fire. Yeah. Anyway, no, that, that actually isn't so far fetched in a way. I mean, he, he really was interested in, um, uh, catoptrics. Yeah. Which I didn't know was a word. So I'm trying to use it and build it into my vocabulary. I, but that's, I, I don't know what it is. So please tell me. Yes. Well, I, I actually got that word from, uh, Britannica's profile on uh-huh. Archimedes. Um, it is the, the part of optics that, uh, works with the reflection of light, uh, from mirrors. Okay. From different types. They could be flat or curved mirrors, but catoptrics is, is that, uh, study and he was particularly interested in it. So it wasn't like it was out of character for him to be interested in something like that. But apparently it doesn't so much work 
Well, on the Mythbusters episode that they made, um, the Mythbusters used they, they they actually tried to build one themselves and mm-hmm. it didn't really work so well. And then right. they they set out a challenge to various groups to try and build um, a working Archimedes death ray. Oh yes. And they found some success, something where it was warm enough where it could, in theory, set fire to maybe the sails. But it would it took time, mm-hmm. and it you know you had to worry about it being the right time of day for mm-hmm. you to be able to do mm-hmm. this. And it would really depend on the ship being very. Uh, well, complicit in the burning process in the sense of if the ship's moving around a lot, then you have to be able to move the ray so that it stays on the same general area in order to keep increasing that temperature until it reaches the burning point. Mm-hmm. And if the ship's moving, then uh, you may not be able to train the ray on that on that uh, uh, moving target fast enough to be able to um, to actually get the temperature hot enough to for stuff to burn. Mm-hmm. So it's even if it were an actual weapon it was not necessarily an effective one not like the um not like the 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 lever that he had designed which right. was demonstrably effective effective enough to make the romans change their tactics now there are also other interesting inventions that we attribute to archimedes one of which is uh that that he probably did make mm-hmm. uh, were uh, planetariums oh yes mm-hmm. uh, they were also Called spheres at the time, the Archimedes spheres, and it was. Uh, if you don't know what a planetarium is, a planetarium is essentially a geocentric model of what the uh, the stars and position of planets and the sun and the moon, what what it looks like from the perspective of Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's an Earth based view of the 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 galaxies around us, the universe essentially. And so Archimedes had apparently built one of these, uh, possibly that used interesting little gears to mimic the motion of the the planets and stars and constellations to keep everything aligned properly and making them move the way they actually do through the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, he built a couple of these apparently, uh, although both of them have been lost. There were other devices that have been re- recovered since then from shipwrecks and things like that that may either be an actual example of the spheres that Archimedes himself built or may be uh, built on the same principles that Archimedes used when building his. But um, that's that's one of those things where we have – we've heard the record of him building these things and he certainly had the intelligence necessary to be able to design such a thing. We just don't have the physical proof of it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a, a treatise that he apparently wrote called The Sand Reckoner that had to do with um, astronomy and his astronomical thought. He actually had uh, had been able to uh, sort of using his the tools of his time, he was able to uh, get an eye, a reasonable idea of the diameter of the sun, mm-hmm. um, you know, through his uh, using instruments to observe this. And this is, of course long before people that we sort of associate with um astro- you know modern astronomy people like uh, Galileo um you know they he was really sort of in a groundbreaking category in this regard but all there were others who uh who worked with these principles too um you know his work went into uh several others as well but um i think it sort of disappeared for a while um and they were the kinds of things too that stood out. People like Plutarch, the uh, um, you know, who wrote quite a bit about 
the famous people of his time, mm-hmm. uh, categorized Archimedes work. Um, and he's, you know, the, these things were well enough documented that he was able to, to pull this out. So yeah, uh, I'd like to talk about another real quick legendary, uh, Archimedes moment. Okay. Um, this would be another great quote. Does I'll, it have to do I'll, with the bathtub? Yes, it does. It has to do with the bathtub. So this is a, a again, a possibly apocryphal story. Uh, so right. in other words, this, this may not be true. In fact, uh, it, I think a lot of historians put this in the, the realm of legend for, for many reasons. Uh, one of which is that the solution Archimedes came up with was actually not as, not as difficult to to get to as you would imagine. So in other words, Archim- it, it seems like it's too easy an answer for Archimedes is almost the, the argument here. Mm-hmm. But the, the situation was that you had the king of Syracuse who right. had commissioned, uh, a, a golden crown and this golden crown was made, but the king was suspicious of the golden crown. He thought that perhaps the person who made it actually used silver to make the crown and then coated it with gold uh, in order to uh, to cheat the king out of money, essentially. Uh-huh. Because silver was less precious than gold, and therefore by using gold uh, silver in the, the crown, he could make it for, for less money than it would cost him uh, to, uh, to gather all the materials and thus have a higher profit. Mm-hmm. So how do you figure out if it weighs the right amount for a crown of that general size? Um, how do you figure out whether or not silver was used? Well, silver doesn't weigh as much as gold does. So in other, in other words, in order to make a silver crown that would weigh the same amount as a gold crown, uh, you would have to add more silver. Right. So if you had a, a cube of silver and a cube of gold that were the exact same size, right. the gold would weigh more. Yes. So in order to make the cubes weigh the same, you would have to have a bigger cube of silver. Right. Right. So that was, that was what Archimedes came up with. He, he came up with this idea of, well, if I use the amount of gold that it takes to create the weight of this crown, like this, let's say this crown weighs, let's just say 10 pounds. Okay. Okay. So for the argu- for argument's sake, this crown weighed 10 pounds. So what Archimedes said, well, what if I get 10 pounds of gold and then I use some way to determine the mass of that gold and then I use that same measurement for the crown? If the measurement's the same, then we can uh, come to the conclusion that the gold, that is gold in the crown. If the, if it's different, then we can say that maybe there's a different material in here. So what he did was, uh, he took a bath. Yes. Uh, he did. So this all has to do with uh, the displacement of water. Uh-huh. By putting the the and again we're just using this this measurement out of uh for for simplicity's sake, putting ten pounds of gold in the the bath, he sees how much water is displaced, how far that water is displaced in the bath, and then putting the crown in there, he can see how much water is displaced from there. And if the the amount is different, then he knows that the two materials are not the same, and supposedly. He became so excited by this discovery that he ran out of his home starkers. I'm, that's not a joke. That's part of the legend. It, no, that that part is not what's cracking me up. Starkers yeah. was cracking me up. Naked. He was uh, naked as a blue jay running down the road. I'm turning into my... Uh, my kinfolk here. Um, so anyway, yeah, completely nude, running down the street and screams out, Eureka, which means I have found it. Also is a quirky 
uh, dramatic comedy on the sci-fi network. Yes, it is. Anyway, so Eureka, that's, that's where we get that. When it, when you have someone who makes a discovery and screams out Eureka, they are, uh, essentially paying homage to Archimedes, which again, since this is a potentially apocryphal story, we might just be paying homage to a legend. Well, apparently the, the bathtub part is what's probably apocryphal, but yeah. the crown part apparently is true. Yeah. Um, they do, they do seem to feel, or at least Britannica does, seems to feel that, uh, the, that he was asked to determine whether or not the, the crown was actually gold apparently really did happen. Yeah. And, and, and the, you know, you would want somebody like Archimedes to do this because he was thinking scientifically. Yes. In this case. And the reason you might say, well, why don't they just scratch the crown and see if there's silver underneath? Just bite it like your coin, right? Well, the, the problem here was that the, the crown was considered to be almost a holy relic. It was yeah. considered because the kings of, of the Greeks were they they would trace their lineage back to gods, and so you couldn't destroy the crown in any way because that was an affront to the gods. Mm-hmm. So he had to find a non-destructive way to test this without you know without actually causing any sort of damage to the crown, which right. makes it way more difficult. Um, and then we have another object that is attributed to Archimedes, although it's very possible that it actually predates his uh, lifetime, and it's just that he observed it and then was able to apply it elsewhere, which is the Archimedes screw. Yes. You're like, well, how could it not be Archimedes' invention? It has his name right there in the name. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, McDonald's isn't named for somebody named McDonald so you know there's oh. a name a name is as uh, tricky thing sometimes but yes he did he did observe the the principle that uh you know the hydrostatic principle yeah. using using the screw to raise water which sounds counterintuitive at first until you realize how this is implemented right. it's actually a screw that is in general the screw is encased in a tube uh-huh and then you lay it in a at an angle where you know one end is raised at the top and the other end goes into the water. Mm-hmm. So you've got one end that, that descends into the the water and you have one end that's above the the water level. Mm-hmm. You start turning that screw and what it does is it scoops the water, and the water travels up the screw just because of the principle of the screw as right. you as you turn it within this tube. Now. There's, you know, you might have some leakage issues where some of the water leaks back down to the next level down. But as as soon as you start turning that screw at a nice clip, eventually the water starts coming to the surface, and the the uh, speed that you turn the screw will counteract the leaking problem. And since it's just leaking to the next level down, it essentially becomes a non-issue once you get to a certain speed, and you can actually lift water out of uh, out of a body of water that way. And this was often used in Archimedes' time to pull water from, say, a lake and put it into an irrigation system. Mm-hmm. The Greeks and Romans were both very big on irrigation. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, actually, that reminds me of uh, there's an infant toy uh, that has uh, three or four little plastic balls, and there's a screw inside. Yes. And if you push down, and it's encased, Yes. as you said, in and in, not in a tube. It's actually sort of a, it's not conical. But it does get narrower at the top than it is at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And when you press down on the plunger in the center, it makes the screw turn. And the faster you push it, the higher the balls climb up 
this screw until you stop and then they, you know, spin back down. Right. And I mean, there's, you know, not hydrostatic. There's no water involved. But it's the same but principle. It's, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And, and you can sort of, if you've seen that, that's, you can sort of imagine that because it's, you don't often see an Archimedes screw in, in practice. Although you, you, you can see them in practice if you were to go to certain hydroelectric plants. Oh, Although yes. they would be used in practice in reverse. Uh-huh. Because then what you do is you you turn the uh, – if you happen to pour water on the top of the screw, mm-hmm. it will make the screw turn. So you know, turning the screw will bring water to the top. But if you pour water on the top of the screw, it makes the screw turn. So it's mm-hmm. the, the reverse action. Well, that means that if you are able to position the screw uh, so that a flow of water is constant on the top of it, then the screw will keep turning. You can make that screw do work. Mm-hmm. You can have that screw uh, use. You can use it to drive a generator, an electric generator, and thus you can create electricity from water. That's just one way. I mean, there are turbines as well. I mean, it's not the only method of of using water to drive an electric generator, yeah. but it is one way. Yeah, I was actually thinking of the Tesla turbine. Yeah, when you mentioned that, um, which is also a fascinating thing. We have an article on the website about that. As a matter of fact, yeah, it's not, it's not using the same. Exact principle, but it's also a way of using water to, or to uh, to turn a turbine. That's not, you know, something what I would think of as typical. But anyway, I digress. And we again, we should point out. I mean, we've mentioned it a couple times, but it bears repeating that the um, the actual Archimedes screw. Uh, there are at least some indications that this was being used in Egypt uh, well before Archimedes ever had his name attached to it. Yeah, completely by chance. Um, a few months ago, I was reading the uh, the biography of Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff. Um, mm-hmm. It's very popular there for a while. Um, and I, I hadn't really read a lot about ancient Egypt, but he uh, Archimedes was actually in contact with uh, some of the scientists in Alexandria, which at that time, Alexandria in Egypt was probably the world center of learning, or at least one of the top uh, centers of scholarship, at the, you know, and, um, he apparently was, was in contact with them and, and had spent some time in Egypt before he went to Syracuse. Uh, so it is not at all unlikely, mm-hmm. um, that he wouldn't have, you know, that, that he would have had contact with those, uh, those scientists over there and gotten some, some cool ideas. You know, and he also was, uh, attributed with the creation of a game. Really? Yeah. Did you hear about uh, Stomachion or Stomachion? I have heard of it, but I didn't realize this was uh, this was related to Archimedes. Yeah, it's attributed to him. It's a it's a game that you play with these different shapes. It's almost like having a puzzle in a way. Like these shapes, if you if you put them all together uh, in one way, it'll create essentially a square. But the idea is to use those shapes to create uh, other recognizable shapes. And it's really an exercise in creativity, like seeing seeing the potential of geometry to build um, shapes that are more organic. Mm-hmm. So things like you use them to build a tree or uh, the example I saw was an elephant, um, which is kind of it's just kind of interesting. It's the idea that you have to use all the shapes in the the group to create a, uh, a recognizable object, an interesting object. And uh so that's also uh, attributed to Archimedes. But again, this is another one of those uh, attributions that we can't be completely certain is accurate. It's just one of those another, – another interesting thing of something that Archimedes may have had a hand in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so shapes actually. Yeah. 
Um, looking for something. Darn it. All right, hang on. We'll, okay. we'll, you look, and then we will uh, pick up. Okay. All right, speaking of shapes, um, you know, he was he was involved with many – he published a lot of his work, and mm-hmm. there there is an indication that he may have had other work that he either didn't publish or that was later lost. Um, again, there's been a lot of time that has passed now since he is he has uh, left us. But um, one of the things we do know that he was fascinated with shapes. Um, he was able to uh, to figure out the surface area of a spear sphere of radius R. You remember this back mm-hmm. from uh, your uh, mathematics classes? I have a vague memory of it. Yep, yep. S equals four pi R squared. Pi. Yeah. And the volume is two-thirds of the uh, the cylinder in which it is inscribed. Mm-hmm. Uh, v equals four-thirds pi r cubed. I have not had to know those those formulae in so long, but they came back to me as soon as I saw that. And apparently, uh, he was so excited about this that this is actually uh, what his tomb was marked with. Yes. Uh, Marcus yes. Tullius Cicero found his tomb, which had been overgrown with... Uh, uh, greenery, let's say, and, um, probably about a uh, 150 years or so after he died and found that his, uh, his tomb had been inscribed with a, a sphere or had been marked with a sphere inscribed in a cylinder. And that's, uh, I just think that's fascinating. I mean, going back to what I learned about geometry and, um, uh, calculus, I think of people who came much later than that, but, you know, in, in general, but Archimedes really had a, a huge influence on, on many, many other people. Of course, his writings were known to uh, to the Arabic world. A mm. lot of um, a lot of scientists and mathematicians from that era uh, in in later centuries were able to take his work and build upon it. Um, and it's just uh, it's just cool stuff. He also did a lot with with mathematics as it was, uh, you know, working on place value systems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, lots and lots of different things. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't, a, uh, he was, I would say polymathic. Yes. You know, somebody who is, is, um, well, has, has knowledge in multiple areas. Yeah. Very yeah. knowledgeable about a variety of mathematical and science topics. And we'll probably talk about other individuals who fall into that, that category as well. Um, for example, I, Eventually, we're going to have to do a full profile on Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, I would because think so. that would, but that's another famous polymath from from history that that you know really was instrumental in the whole idea of of invention. You know, really embracing that part of genius. And uh, I would say Archimedes was a, a great you know uh, forefather of that of invention as well. Now, granted, he's also a very good example of the the uh, the phrase. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. When you've got Romans attacking you, you find it really necessary to find a way to make them stop. <laughs> and then he wrote that song, you know, 50 Ways to Love Your Lever. All right, so that wraps up this discussion on Archimedes. <laughs> if uh, all of you folks out there have any particular people you would like us to concentrate on, either in the deep past or even modern day, whichever, let us know. You can send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. 
Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or you can email us. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?